Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. Now this is episode 28 and I was lucky enough to sit down and interview a cod fishing guru, Thomas Pinter. Now Thomas loves his cod, loves chasing them and he has such a passion for working out how they behave and what they do. And in this episode, we talk about chasing these trophy fish, what he does. He unfolds and explains his techniques, what he goes through his mind, his thought process to catch these big fish. And we also talk about Lake Yield. Now, if you don't fish Lake Yield and if you fish a different impoundment, the good thing about this episode is what Thomas explains, you can apply to a different lake. So you can do what he takes and fish in Copeton, fish in Blaring, fish in Burrinjuk, and you'll get success. But the, the lake we focus on in this episode is Lake Yield and, and he, he shares some secrets and things he does at Lake Yield. But like I said, if you fish another lake, you will still get something out of this episode. Now, Thomas fishes incredible and he the way he thinks about what he does was incredible i love talking and as we got into the episode i had a bunch of questions laid out to ask him and it basically just went off track because i was so intrigued with what he was saying i know it's going to intrigue you as well you're going to learn a lot from this episode and it will make a difference to your fishing the things that he talked about in it um was his preparation for chasing big cod what he does and he goes right in depth and explains the moon phases and the weather and how he uses that to his advantage but also how to not get caught up on the weather and it's not the be all and end all that was really critical then we talk about finding bait and imitating bait and how critical it is now that's a way uh, that thomas fishes he fishes for the bait and and what i love is this episode will contrast so much to the episode i only did a couple ago with darren weeder now darren fishes eildon too and we talked about eildon and darren fishes it a very different way to the way thomas fishes it and it doesn't mean that one way is right and one way is wrong they both have success doing these different techniques and that's why why I'm running this episode so close to the other one because it is so different because of the approach he has. So the approach he has is fishing the bait, finding the bait. And in the episode with Darren, he, he talked all about the structure and how he fishes with spinnerbaits close to timber, top water in the timber, and that he wants to do more you know, fishing, chasing the bait and the cod that feed on the bait. So this is a really good um, episode that sort of shows you the different side to the one we already had. Then we get into talking about techniques, different fishing styles, the structure, the retrieve, so big cod and in detail on these big Eildon cod and what Thomas does to find success. We talk about chasing cod in summer at Eildon as well. I ask him that question and what he does in summer um, and how to fish swim baits effectively. He runs through the technique of using swim baits, how he uses them, how he retrieves them. And then towards the end of the episode, we're just bouncing off each other of a bunch of different things that he does uh, out on the water that will make a difference to your fishing no matter where you fish. So I'm pumped for this episode. Can't wait to share it with you. It's jam-packed. It goes for a while and I really appreciate the time that Thomas took to sit down and do this interview with me. And then obviously at the end, Thomas touches on his best catch to date and his number one rule for success. And I love learning from everyone and every episode is different and the people you talk to are different and 
I just myself am absorbing all this information, which is so good, and I really hope you guys out there are absorbing it as well. We're getting so many questions from you guys. We're getting so many messages saying you're loving the podcast. Keep sending them through. It is great to hear from you, and I read every single one. So, guys, without further ado, let's jump in. We're going to talk with the one and the only Thomas Pinter about chasing trophy cod at Lake Yildon. G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast and I have a very special guest with us, Thomas Pinter, mate. You love your cod. Thanks heaps for joining me in this episode. Ah, no dramas. Happy to be here. Ah, cheers, mate. Cheers. So, first I want to touch on and just get a bit of an understanding of how fishing started for you. What what do you love? What is it about fishing that you enjoy? Because for everyone it's different and what is it that, what is it that just drags you into fishing why do you just have to go fishing like it's this it's this bug that we all have but what is it for you about fishing um fishing but just um i love i love the chase i love um the the putting your mind together working out a tactic or a technique putting it together putting it into practice and then hopefully well the aim is to come up with a result and um yeah i just love that effort for reward um and i think yep. it's yeah, it's right up there, and I think I've got that from from the old man at a very a very young age. So yeah, it's definitely stuck with me, and it's yeah, it can't. Oh, I don't think I can beat it. There's nothing else really. <laughs> yeah, you mean fishing and the whole the whole chase of fishing? Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's what's got me going. Yeah. So it's your go-to thing, like obviously with the amount of content you put up and the amount you fish, but it's your. It's your thing, eh? Everyone's got their thing in life, but <laughs> yeah. fishing fishing fully consumes your spare time? Yeah, it does. Like, I, I used to play, um, actually used to uh, play a lot of soccer, and I think I played uh, just under 19 years, and I started uh, actually doing it for a bit of money and um, on the side, but um, I really uh, cut short on the fishing time that I had, so, like, it was very limited in the amount of time I could get out there, but, um, yeah, I... Literally, I gave that up to pretty much pursue fishing. So, yeah, that, <laughs> nice. Yeah, put that same time that I'd be out there on the soccer field, you know, trainings and games, and put that towards me fishing. So that's probably answered why I get out there as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny, mate. We got that in common. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> I used to play soccer too. I did it for 15, 16 years, and, it, and like you said, it gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you prefer fishing more, it gets in the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's crazy. So, how long? How, when did you finish playing? When did you finish playing soccer and really get stuck into your fishing? How long ago was that? Oh, you'd be around probably the four or five years ago. I completely just cut soccer. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I still played um, indoor a fair bit. But yeah, that, even then, that was a little bit of an extra sort of thing just between mates. But yeah, for the most part, yeah dropped it all together so yeah <laughs> yeah and did you fish growing up like did was fishing a part of your life growing up or not so much no 100 percent. like um my parents both come from europe in germany in particular so my old man was very much a big pike musky fisherman um back yeah. over there so throwing big, uh, big swim baits and stuff like that and mind you some of these he would carve out of timber himself because Back then, there wasn't really the technology or the what's available now these days to us, um, and even live baiting for him and stuff like that, and showing me some of the photos of the pike and stuff that he's encountered, yeah, really drawed my attention. And um, him coming to Australia, 
And um, obviously we haven't got our pike in that here, but he keyed into the Murray Cod scene very quickly. Um, yeah. Has been like one of our major, you know, apex predators of the inland water, um, yep. if you will. But so, yeah, that sort of um, came down to me and pushed me, in, not pushed me, pulled me into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, so did you, were you born in Oz? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Australian born. Yeah. Right, so so you didn't get so you come, so your parents come over and you were born here and basically he sort of figured out cod and then taught you all about chasing that apex predator. Yeah, very very much. Like he, he obviously did a lot of trolling and um, bait, um, but even then he was yeah. always fishing biggest baits. He could put on big yabbies and you know trolling the biggest diver he could buy or just things like that. So just chasing that real big fish. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it was pretty special. Yeah, nice, nice. So, so now you got stuck into your cod fishing. Have have you learnt a lot? Do you reckon by putting the time in now? Do you reckon it makes all the difference to finding success and not like because you've obviously been catching a lot of big fish of late, and that's obviously the target. Would you say to someone else who's out there like those fish aren't easy? It takes that dedication. Oh, hundred percent. Like. Um, I'm sure you know, like some of the clear water impoundments, they don't hand out these fish just like that. Um, I'm sure you've had your, your trial and error trips or you've gone leaving the lake, not upset, but you're just like, man, I'm doing this mm. next time. You're Jack, you're already ready to go for next time. And your next trip, you're already yeah. planning it because you know I want to do this different than yeah. I'm not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, that definitely um, definitely plays a part. It's key, eh? It's, yeah. it's crazy. I feel the exact same thing. It's almost like you are more keen to go and do whatever you learnt from the trip of a donor. You, yep. You're like, oh, I, it's almost like you need to go more yep. if you didn't get anything than if you actually succeeded, isn't it? It's funny. Yeah. It's 100, 100%. Like a lot of people say, oh, you know, what do you do different than what I, what, what I do? I'm like, man, as cliche and as dull as it sounds is time. Um, yeah. It like... Seriously, like you could, um, you have your day off work or whatever and um, you might look at the weather or you hear from reports and it may not be that great, but I'll still push yep. myself to go out there because that literally could be another piece to the puzzle or something that you could use later on. There's no point going yeah. out there, going when they're biting or there's, there's plenty of bait, the fish are active, they're breeding, whatever it may be, going out there when those fa- those things you look at aren't there, then try and figure it out. And, man, I, I've learned a lot more doing that, more so than going in. There's, you know, there's no point in information being spoon-fed to you because you don't learn. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got to learn from your mistakes and I think that applies here massively. Like, it really does. Yeah, so experience, time on the water and and like you said, it's the things you learn, you know, even in those poor conditions because we've, we haven't got like time to go, yeah, let's go on a Wednesday because the weather's good. Yeah. Like if you live like that, you wouldn't get out in the water much. No, exactly right. So you got to, so you still got to push yourself through the through yeah. those hard times. So, mm. mate, so fishing started from a very young age for you. Now, I just want to touch on how, your YouTube channel. Tell us about your YouTube channel. What's it called? When, when did you start it and why did you decide to start putting quite a lot of effort into creating videos well um yeah my channel is called fishing with the captain um where the name come from well it actually came from um between a group of mates uh, i was the one that had the boat of the trip like i was the boat owner um yeah and yeah just mates coming with me and you know just um 
give me a bit of a tongue and cheek, you know, to put put them onto fish. Um, yeah. And then yeah, just like if the bite was a bit hard or whatever, you know, they'd start calling me the captain that I should you know do my job and. And then um, <laughs> when we started, you know, obviously like pulling fish or whatever, and then I would give it back to them and saying that they're fishing with the captain. So <laughs> that's where nice. it sort of stuck. But, um, love it, love it. Yeah. So, but now the channel started really prop uh, about three years ago. I made the channel um, mm. because um, I just encountered a lot of things that were too cool not to share, like. A lot of things that I would film or just have banked up on a hard drive that, you know, years down the track, I'd whatever, I'd just look at it and go, oh, I remember that time this and that happened, but I want to share it. I want to put it out there. Um, yep. And like, it's actually developed into a bit of the thing where I like to share information, but I won't give the information to a certain extent. I'm more than happy to help, but I love it when people still have to earn it. I know what you mean. Totally get it. So you, yeah. So so it's that thing of you're providing what you need to, but it's also that almost that inspiration for them to go out and put in the time because, like you said, it's key that you spend time on the water to learn. Correct. Yeah. Spot on. So the so the videos so the videos are a bit of that, a bit of you want to share what your experiences, also share content and inspire others. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. So, with the videos, that they started three years ago, you said. So, what's the plan now with them? You, you continue to do it? You continue to... Is the plan, you know, to each trip... Do you film every trip? Every trip. Like, I always have two two cameras rolling. Um, yeah. Yeah, off the chest and off the, off the back of the boat, shining forward. So, but um, mind you, I do go a lot of trips where I'm trying to chase fish a certain way. Um, yeah. I know that it may be a swim bait bite or it might be a spinner bait bite or it might be I should be fishing this structure over this structure but I'll purposely fish what I want to fish. I'm at the stage now where I want to fish certain things and pull fish certain ways um, yep. and I want to capture that moment, not obviously the on the floor of the boat but also how to have it for the viewing, for the, for the audience. Yeah, cool. And the plan for the channel is to just keep going? It's just keep creating videos? Yeah, like I, I do it because I love it. Um, yeah, there obviously is a bit of a benefit for it, but um, it doesn't um, outweigh the benefit of it. Like seriously, I just do it because I love doing it. And actually yeah, capturing the moment and I'm literally, if I'm not thinking about my next trip, I'm already thinking how I'm going to put it together and yeah, I'm already like looking forward to um, looking at the footage when I get back home because there's actually been a lot of times where I've recorded, say, a bite or a, a fish and it's actually gone down completely different to what I recalled it as in my head. Yes, yes. So, so I may have... A good example is like getting a swim bait bite, um, getting the tick in the line and sticking the hooks. You may have thought you were on the ball, but realistically, you watching the video, you were probably two to three seconds late um, yeah, and that's actually taught me a big thing, um, just with retrieving and see that's already upped my learning curve, um, and yeah, definitely added to the way I fish. Yeah, 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 totally agree, and, it, and it's good. So it's not only helping others, but it's benefiting your your fishing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so anyway, mate, what I want to touch on in the episode is just a f- I want to talk about giant cod and and chasing these big cod because they're they're obviously 
just from watching your videos, I can just tell that they're one of the main targets, you know, yep. chasing that big, big fish. So when you go out to chase a big fish, like you said, you do sometimes go to target them on a specific technique. But what what I want to what I want to ask is, what's your preparation for a trip? So we're talking big fish. What what is the prep before you go out? Do you is it, do you look at weather conditions that affect where you go? Do you plan where you're going to fish on the lake or wherever you're going? Your gear prep what what's your preparation um a lot of my preparation would obviously say i'd start looking at sort of like um if i'm planning a, a trip in a, a head um and i do have say it might be three or whatever weeks ahead um i'll definitely try and fit the session in maybe around moon um moon and sort of look at weather patterns what's it doing um in regards to cold fronts or high pressure systems um try to see that but um i don't pay attention too much on it because i don't want it to affect my attitude um because i do think that um yeah if your head's not in it you may as well not be out there um yeah so but uh yeah definitely looking at the weather patterns so like moon and all that um but yeah w- going out there on the water wind uh can change my um tactic yeah correct like, plan yeah, yeah can actually put a bit of a spanner in the works and make me make a, a last minute sort of call like literally while i'm idling out from the rope ramp i might be going nah the wind's blowing completely different or it might be not blowing at all um, yeah so yeah it can definitely make me go otherwise like where i would normally go Right, okay. Well, I want to come back to that wind yep. stuff because that's critical. But just go back to the moon. You yep. said you like to plant around the moon. What specifically do you look for in the moon? What kind of moon phase? Um, either full or new moon. Um, but I just think they, they all have their bite windows and opportunities and, and feeding times. But I just think that um, they just feed slightly differently. You might have to just adjust your technique a little bit. Instead of going surface, maybe go subsurface or fish a little bit deeper. Um, yep. Um, so, like, I, I find that, um, say, I like the lead up. Um, so, probably that within a week, say, if you're having, say, a new moon, I'd like to fish those probably four or five days leading up to it. Yep. Um, although, on the day of the moon phase itself um, can change things, but for the most part, it should be fine. Um, and then again, those days after it, um, yep. yeah, I, I really favor that full moon or new moon. Um, so yeah, but, um, yeah, I definitely find that also on the moon phases, not just during the day of bite window opportunities, they definitely change timing. So instead of being your sunrise, sunset, your traditional sort of bite times, they might bite smack bang at midnight or it might be one or two in the afternoon. Um, right. Yeah, like I've found like that moon rise, moon set sort of plays a big deal as well, not just your sun going up and down and making it lighter or darker. Um, yeah, definitely that, uh, it's definitely a midday bite window too. Yeah, right. So it's not it's not in like just about nighttime or daytime. You're saying if you just have say leading up to a full moon, you have the moon come up at like three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon that week before, yep. it it could tr- it could trigger them to bite just based on the fact it's rising or obviously setting 
um, when it goes around to the you know the other cycle. So it's yep. you're saying it's those rise and set times, not based on even the dark, because we 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 really rely a lot on moon rises and set in the dark. Because obviously, mm. if you've got no moon and then you have got a bright moon comes up instantly, it, it triggers something. But yep. you're saying it does it too in the daylight, even though the light off the moon doesn't really affect them. But the actual moon rise you're saying has an impact on them. Correct. Yeah. Um, actually, it's interesting. Yeah, because I find that um, I've gone fishing and not looking at those times, so that way I actually put in a hundred percent for the whole session, and not yeah. just go out. Oh, I'll fish here, whatever, and then when it comes to that time, I'll fish hard. I like to fish hard the whole time, um, and yep. then if I get a result, I'll look at that later on, and then in contrasting to the times, I'll look at bites that i've had or in fishing counters so i will document um encounters um even if it is a smaller fish or if it is a big fish i'll still document the sort of the times um yeah and also take a note of where he was like if it was down deep or if he was shallow um, yeah so that's what it tells me if he was really active he may have came from deep water up or i had to sulk it down deep and go down nice and slow for him to come out and have a crack but um yeah definitely seeing a pattern emerging um in the midday, actually, general full gentleman hours, I've had cracking sessions. Like a lot of people have gone and left the water, um, mm. and yeah, I've just had an absolute liner of a session, and I've had it all to myself. Yeah, right. That's crazy. So you like correlate what the fish are doing to the moon phase and that afterwards. So because you're basically saying that in your head, it's all about confidence in your head. So you're going out with the plan of I'm going to be confident and then you figure it out later on and then that sort of gives you sort of an idea of what depth you should be fishing or tactics for your next trip. Yeah, Yeah? 100%, 100%. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, cool. It's interesting. It's interesting. So, the the moon phase. So, actually, one I want to touch on there is you're talking about. So, we're talking about Eildon is mainly where you fish in terms of you getting these good daytime bites. Um, Yeah, I've done a lot of, like, say, I've done a fair few trips to Copeton. Um, I've fished uh, even Lake Hume, Mulwala, all those places, even the Murray. But, yeah, a lot of my efforts being closer to home for me it's only an hour and 40 for my house for my front door so i'm quite fortunate i can do day trips um yep. so yeah like i'll still personally i'll still get up you know i'm on the water at the ramp at five o'clock um mm-hmm. so like I'll, I'll put in a massive day like go hard but yeah like as much as i know or i'm anticipating that midday bite i'm still getting up there at that early time because there's been more times a very high percentage, I won't get a bite until that midday period. Really? So you're mm. getting just as good, if not better, fish in the middle of the day than you mm. are in that early and late? Yeah, there's oh, there's been times where as the day goes on, I can see boats of leaving the ramp and yep. like going home and my confidence is just building. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get a bite right now. I'm going to get this. Like I can feel like it almost gets to a point now where I, can, I get nervous um, not mm. having a bite all morning and I might come around midday and I'm already any cast now. I'm just going to get crunched. Like I'm feeling it. Like it may not happen, yep. but mm. I start to get nervous. I'm like, yeah, it, this is something's going to happen. Mm. It's a good feeling, isn't it? It's, oh. it and it ha- it's, it's, it's something, but it's real. Like it is real mm. because it does happen. Like you yep. know when you feel it, hey. Yeah, 100%. Like almost to the cast. There's been times I've been 
like get into the emotion, emotions of just casting, repetition, you know, going along a bank and all of a sudden I'll just go, hang on a second, something's not going to happen here and then we cast later, it might be 10 minutes later, whatever, yeah, you find a fish. It's pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, eh? Hey? Yeah. It's so cool. It's, it's just something about being so keyed in to targeting these fish and so you've got this drive to want to succeed mm. and, and it almost helps you. Yeah. In in a, in a way, yeah. So, so what with this daytime bite? Is it? Do you find the conditions? What happens when you have a glassed out sunny day? Like you're still getting cod on glassed out clear days? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I, I don't see it being too much of a factor. Although I do know if it is glassed out and then there is a a wind coming up, like uh, something happening, like in regards to the wind direction might be picking up. All of a sudden, there's a ripple, and then all of a sudden, there's you know a big, big waves crashing against the side of your boat. Um, I actually look forward to that because I see that as being another bite window. Like it might be just a spike in the barometer or something, yeah. something that's happened. But yeah, definitely, it doesn't deter me being glassed out or wind blown or whatever. Um, yeah, I just think that becomes that can become your attitude again. Like again, that comes down to your attitude. That can I see it more so as you. You know, going, oh, it's windy. Oh, it's too much of a good day. Like, put that aside. You're there to do one thing. Mm. And you still get results. Like, the glassed yeah. out weather, you yeah. still had good hits from good cod and caught them in yeah. sunny, clear days. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Because it's kind of it's become a thing over the last four or five years that it's just a nighttime thing. Like, mm. uh, Copeton and, and Blaring and even... Eel not so much because you got that much timber, but yeah. those other two, the, the the night, it seems to be it. And ev- like you said, everyone leaves at eight o'clock. I've, I'm known for it. I do it all the time. Mm. You fish the night, and then as soon as the sun hits the water, you give up, and then you, you kind of just believe that you know they don't bite in the day, yeah. but you don't actually put in the same amount of hours, you know. And then that's where that that kind of issue happens of you believe something that might not be true. Yeah, correct. Like, I see is every cast I'm doing or every whatever it may be, half an hour, hour that's gone by, I don't see that as wasted time. I see that I'm getting closer to the next bite. Mm. Um, yeah. Again, again, it comes up again is your attitude, positive attitude, pushing towards that next bite, one bite at a time. Like, people go, oh, man, you caught all these fish or like they're hearing people are catching all these fish. Just take one at a time. You get that first bite and then you deal with the rest. Mm, exactly and and you know how you get people who go out and catch a fish you know straight up the first time they ever chase a cot and then other people put in the hours but if you if you stretch it right out there's you have to put in the hours eh? to continually catch good quality fish there's nothing but putting in those hours that will get the results 100 percent, not just consistently but yeah well you pretty much hit the nail on the head um consistency like it'll it'll happen um yeah, like going back to time as well. Yeah, time out there and yeah, you're just a big learning curve and yeah, getting the results eventually. When you talked about wind earlier, you, you said you might have a plan for where you want to go to what spot and if it's glassed out or if it's wind's blowing from a different direction, it changes where you want to fish. What do you look for if the wind's blowing a certain way? Do you try to get out of it so that you can fish more effectively without the wind or do you go, righto, let's go fish a bank that's getting blown by the wind? What What's your usual plan of attack? Um, well, first of all, I look for is bait. Um, it may not be um, big clusters of bait, but it just might be 
um, Eildon in particular, I'll have um, some points will hoard big amounts of carp. And some of these mm. carp aren't massive. There might only be a, probably a kilo or two in weight, but for an 80 to a meter long cod, like they'll eat that. Um, yeah. So like I'm sure there's not too – oh, actually there's been a few cases um, where the first bit of structure or even side imaging around those bits of carp or in Eildon we're lucky enough to have good amounts of trout, um, yeah, that you find fish or you even get follows from fish. I've thrown lures in the school, sunk it to the bottom of carp on the top I'm talking um, and yep. swimming it down right down the bottom and I've had Cod turn at the boat like he had a, he's seen it in the last minute or he's shown himself. Um, yeah. And it's actually funny. I, I actually get a lot of my bites with people trolling for trout, like cast the distance from my boat. If I turn around and did a long cast, I'd hit his boat. Um, right. Like, so there's people, that's actually one bit that made me fish certain areas is finding the bait. I thought, all right, especially in winter because the carp go a little bit dormant. They can be a little bit mm. harder to find. Trout mm-hmm. being active, they're rising, they're moving about. Um, I thought the fir- next best food source would either be like your your redies or your, your trout. Um, they're pretty active. So I thought, well, where do you get most of the trout? Look at those guys trolling for trout. And yeah, that's yeah. where I sort of started. Um, and yeah, I didn't have to go too far to find results. Yeah, right. So you're so you're following the blokes who are trolling and catching trout because they know where the trout are and they mm. have success doing that. So yeah. you're like, right, oh, well, they're... So that's what you're doing? Like you're basically following them, fishing where they're trolling because you know they're fishing for trout. Yeah, well, yeah, so it's, um, certain times of the year, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I'm definitely keen to that. And you can actually mark the trout in your, on your sounder, having good technology we have these days and, yeah, being able to mark the trout themselves and talking to people whatever, at the ramp, whatever, when they're catching trout or whatever, um, they're telling me where they're getting the trout. I'm not interested in your trout. I want the things that eat the trout. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So, it's interesting because trout are a a crazy fish in terms of being a bait source because they're not an easy meal but they're still a meal. So, the trout don't, you can't, like there's no area they sit because they're always on the move so they'll rise they'll move down they'll swim around they'll do whatever yeah. how do you imitate a trout obviously you're using lures that are the right profile but how yeah. are you casting where are you casting and what kind of retrieves are you using to imitate the trout like is there a specific yeah run me through it yeah um in winter in particular or even in summer actually um at certain times but um trout generally if it, sit in that open water a bit bit more than say like mm. your shallow bays and that um mm-hmm. that's where sort of redfin are more likely to hold and say like your the back of bays and stuff but fishing on the outside where the trout are um i'm finding a lot of actually the trout themselves are following my swim bait in um, yeah and then almost not much bigger than the lure themselves um i don't know if that's just a curiosity thing or breeding thing or whatever but whatever it is they're chasing it Um, so that straight away gives me an indication, right, these guys are running up and down. It might be this bank or a rock wall. These guys are running up and down. Sure enough, they're going to swim over the wrong piece of timber and cod's going to come out for it. But, um, so that's why I sort of thought that trout don't really hug the bottom or sit tight in snags or anything like that for the cod to eat. Um, a lot of my fishing 
sort of happens around that um, even that five ten meter mark. Um, so I'm in thirty plus foot of water, but I'm throwing a swim bait. Um, in particular, imitating the trout, I'll be throwing a big swim bait, um, roughly eight or ten inches long. Um, even mid water, um, it doesn't have to be bumping the bottom or like right down in the snags at all. Um, I've had a lot of fish actually come follow it to my rod tip that have actually come from almost underneath the boat. So that tells me right. he's come from vertical position, not so much yeah. as tracked it from behind. Um, and yeah, like yielding being gin clear as it is, um, I've even throwing surface and watching fish come vertical, um, seeing it for a full second before it's actually had a crack at the lure. That he's is come, insane. Yeah, he's come vertical instead of tracking it from behind. So that tells yep. me these things do look up and they're not just locked on structure. They move around, they sit mid-water, they suspend. Um, yeah, like they're, they're up and about. Like there's been times where I've marked things on my side imaging and I know it's a cod. Uh, I can see fins and all and he's nowhere yep. near the bottom. He's nowhere near some structure. But what I did find on that same bank, I've marked a heap of bait. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. key into like they're a snag orientated rock wall it might be a hole look I, I agree to a certain extent they won't have that structure too far from them but for the most part if they're hungry they almost become semi-pelagic if you will like they move they chase their bait they if they want it they'll eat it yeah that um, is so interesting so so you got these guys trolling for trout and they might be out a little bit from the bank right mm. and you're saying they're like a cast distance from you and you're yep. When you're working these banks with the, in trout as your bait of in particular here, you're not fishing the back of baits. You're fishing the more open banks. And are you are you sitting sort of because Eildon's got a lot of standing trees that sort of you know run in off any most banks. Yeah. Are you kind of sitting parallel or are you just you're just cutting the, between the trees? And like you said, you're not. It doesn't need to be on the bottom. So you're just letting it sink a little bit and you're rolling it through middle of the trees that and or it doesn't even have to have trees what what kind of bank or it's not about the structure it's just about the trout i don't so much as look at the bank itself i'll look at more like probably more so the depth and how quick it falls away um so like i'll most part i'll sit parallel literally if i reached over my rod tip i'll probably poke the bank Um, yeah so like i'm tracking along the bank and for the most part i'll be casting forward so if I was to sit out from a bank and cast directly at it, my lure might only be um, in the strike zone for half the retrieve. Saying that, yep. you can, I still get follows all the way to the boat if you were to do that. But yeah. for the most part, you would have called that fish in from closer to the bank and you would have come out to see you because your boat in that situation, you might be in 40, maybe even 50 foot of water. Um, but if your boat's that close to the bank and you're casting constantly forward even if you have a, a mate with you he can be sitting say on the outer edge of you and his lure might be tracking in 10 meters of water and then you're literally standing no more than two meters apart from him, or whatever it is how wide your boat is and yeah. you you might be in five six meters so you're actually on yeah. top of the edge and he's below the edge yeah right and you do this even when you're imitating trout same yeah, same yeah. parallel, but you're saying you don't have to be on the bottom and you're like no, grinding the bottom. No. Like you can cast out and have it three meters down in six meters of water kind of thing. Yeah, yep. I've, there's yeah. been times where I'm rolling, it's just out of sight. 
Um, and I, I know, right. like, I can see the angle on my line. It's not that far down at all. Right, and that's yep. when you're imitating the trout that the are trout. cruising up yep. and back along banks. Yeah, yep. right. Yep. Interesting. So, and that way you're you're kind of not only imitating them, you don't have to be on the bottom, but you're still not winding it out into that super dead open water, like you said, that could be 30 feet. Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. eh? And, 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 and then obviously it's all about keeping the lure in that zone for as long as you can. So yeah. that's when you're imitating trout. So you're, you're imitating them. Is your retrieve slow? Are you? Do you get the fish to hit when you make the trout look injured or do you try to make the trout match all the other trout and move it quite quickly through the water? Um, like for the most part, it's a slow roll. But when I do feel or oh, I've been bored by a fish, there's been times where I've been bored and I've felt nothing on the line, I'll give it literally yeah. two, three burns of the handle um and then just back to a slow retrieve and actually i can't recall a fish off the top of my head that hasn't came back come back for a crack wow um even um say yeah well for the most part it is a slow roll but even when i'm say in eildon there's a lot of that like you were saying earlier with the spindly trees or standing timber um in winter it, it is more productive with the trout being up harder on the bank um, yep. where you can wind that a little bit quicker and keep it up off the bottom and sit mid-water, even with your rod tip slightly pointed, not up, but just straight out from you. Um, yep. And then obviously I, I fish a lot of fluorocarbon with my swim baiting. Um, so I'm facing the fish because um, if I have my rod out to the, like on a 45 out from me and I get that bite in the line, I have to take up that stretch so you can imagine how far back your rod tip will have to try and be if you don't yep. fall off the boat trying to set the hook. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. but facing forward to it, I pretty much just take a step back and lean into it and you've pretty much already come up tight. But um, yep. back to the retrieving, um, imitating the trout. The trout usually sit deeper when the sun comes up and obviously even in summer, a lot of people are downrigging for trout. Um, so, But with that standing timber running those edges... Um, I'll actually, instead of fishing the bank side of that tree, those trees, I'll actually move to the open water side. So I'm sitting in that deeper water, as I was saying earlier, might be in that 40, 50 foot of water. Um, but again, your lure doesn't have to be on the bottom. As long as you're in that sort of depth range, I'd like to be in the bottom half. Um, yeah. Just because, again, like the thermocline comes into it. Um, I mark a lot of bait on the bottom side of the thermocline. So that's where I try and be. Um, but yeah, like again, it can be that technique also works in the winter where, um, the, uh, the, the, um, thermocline has gone real deep with the sun coming up. It's still cold, but the oxygen, like the prime oxygen levels move further down in the water column. Um, so I often wait my lures to fish maybe a little bit slower and counting my lures down. It's, it can be painstaking, like it can be real. It's a real patience game. It's almost like you're bait fishing in a way um, because yep. you're counting it down. You're feeling everything down there. You're keeping everything nice and slow. And then, look, it can be, it has been many times the time where I've almost gone home without a bite turning into multiple fish for the session. Yeah, okay, I get it. So, you where you're doing this parallel technique sometimes you're on the inside of the trees and really close to like a rocky edge yep. and then sometimes you're further out yep. and and like you said you prefer to fish on the more open 
banks because that's where your trout are going to be out and cruising and looking around. So yeah. it's all about just for people, it's just about being aware of basically where the bait is at the time of year that Correct. you visit. And being yielding, there's trout. So there is bait in winter, whereas a lot of other places your winter bait disappears um, or can disappear, which makes it harder. So do you fish? So this is that's that's winter time. Do you do you fish for them in the warmer months? And then if you did, is there a different kind of bait? Are we chasing the carp now? Yeah, like definitely because the the trout do sit in like some of the main basin parts of the lake where it gets real deep, um, and yeah, it's almost not a critical food source. They don't they're nowhere near as abundant in that. It's pretty much where the cod are sitting. Um, like I barely, rarely now, pretty much now till probably after Easter when the first frosts roll in or whatever, but um, I won't see, probably don't have a trout follow one of my lures in. So it tells yep. me they're not as uh, abundant. So yeah, I will trace more, like I'm sure a lot of people that have fished children, um, you will see share, bait fish showering right in the shallows and that's redfin chasing minnows. Um, it's almost like a like a bust up, like you got the bloody salmon in the bay. Um, <laughs> yeah, very much red a, yeah, same deal. Like and these reddies, some of them are hundred mil long. Some of them actually, I've actually gone through the effort to catch catch one of them, throw a little spinner out, just catch one, and then you know how big of a lure you need to be putting on. Yeah, um, and like again, matching the hatch. Like I doesn't have to be personally. I'm not massive on color, um, but. Definitely action, size um, plays a bigger part in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I'll be representing those, those redfin and the carp in the warmer months. So, you can actually still throw your big baits. Um, but, again, I'll look for slightly if there is a little bit lower water temp. So, not so much that high water. Like in Yildon, I've had it up to around 26 degrees in some bays, right at the back of bays. Mm. Um so I'll fish more like the insides of points or secondary lake points. Um, like, again, deep rock walls, um, standing timber, even um, shallow bays, I'll fish those light or low light periods or even, you know, through the night. Yeah, okay. So you're saying in summer, you're looking for your cooler water temperatures. Yep. So in the middle of the day, the very backs of the bays are too hot, so you'll mm. only fish them early and late. Yep. But you're fishing, what did you say before, your second, did you say secondary point? Yeah, secondary oh. point. So it's not like, if you can imagine a mouth of a, say an arm coming off the main basin, those are your, yeah. main, those are your, like your main points. But your second, yep. some, not every bay has it, but you're, sometimes that bay might split off into two, like two, yep. two arms. So that mm. point there that divides the two becomes your secondary point. Yes, right. I understand what you mean. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. So you're fishing into the bays, but not right into the back of the, the, on your big ones, you're fishing into them a little bit, but not right up in the very yeah. ends where it's shallow and, yeah. and hot, obviously. Yeah. And then you're chucking lures that represent redfin and, and carp, and they're still big, obviously. And are you yep. fishing, are you fishing deeper now? Well, obviously in winter it changes because if your trout are out deep, out deeper, you could be fishing down there and then so a lot of the trout can be up the top. So you'd be changing all day or each trip in winter. In the summer, are we fishing the same? Are we just changing depending on where the fish are? Because the carp are all on the top and the redfin are up shallow against the bank. Are you still fishing in close to the bank, like a rod length from the bank and casting parallel? Yep. Um, yeah, definitely. But you're still like, say... 
seeing those carp and everything feeding up on top, I, I see it as pretty much, yeah, if you're going to run your lure through the school of them, you, your chances are very slim. They're not a, caught on a ravenous feeder where they'll be, oops, sorry, a, um, f- eat half a dozen carp in a session while yep. weighing, you know, upwards of a kilo. Um, they probably might only hit one or two, if that. So yep. you definitely like hot swimming out just outside the school or the snags just off what you're seeing so like your school of carp or your reddies busting up or whatever um yeah the first bits of structure coming away from it um i'll still go into the backs of those bays because there's generally a lot of carp that will still go up in the back but the carp don't usually pop up in the backs of bays until late afternoon or early morning um yeah they feed up there first um, but yeah, again, when the sun comes up and it gets really warm, they move to the points. Um, yep. and yeah, and then also, um, sitting a little bit deeper too. Right. So, so you're not fishing necessarily on the carp, but if you fish in a part of the dam where there's just no activity, you've got this big long bank, you've cast it for a little bit, you can't see any carp because Eildon's full of carp for those who don't know. Um, you have seen no redfin, you'll be like, mm, this doesn't feel right. And you'd prefer to fish a stretch of bank or a few points where you've got carp everywhere, redfin everywhere. Is that, is that the key part about yeah. it? You're fishing where the bait, in the area of the bait, but still in that depth and that structure that you like to fish. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Spot yeah, on. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then, so what's some of the models of the lures that you use to imitate trout and what are the, some of the lures that you use to imitate your redfin and carp? My, actually, some of my go-tos this year were a um, Megabass mag draft in the 8-inch and also the mag draft in the 10-inch. Um, mm-hmm. Funnily enough, I actually caught bigger fish and more of them on the eight inch than the ten. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Is that because it's easier to fish, you reckon, or it, because it maybe matched the bait better? It could be. Um, I've thrown them pretty equally in the amount of time that I've had them on the boat. Um, I don't prefer one over the other. I, I, I'm happy to throw either. But um, I, I even had. I actually, I have had more seventy and eighty centimeter fish eat the ten inch more than meter fish um, yeah right so I, I don't know if that's something to do with them with their attitude maybe a bigger bait maybe they're trying to step up and eat something bigger um yep but yeah de- and mind you some of these lures are being soft plastic um it actually folds and disappears down the throat like i've been almost up to my elbow in, in a 90 centimeter fish trying to get a 10 inch lure out like so good eh? yeah it's unreal <laughs> it's good when they eat it like that because sometimes when they don't eat them mm. uh you spew them because they don't stick but it's yeah. good when they get them right down yeah 100 <laughs> so, percent. and then and then and then the the lures that you use in the warmer months are you using the same lures or are you using different profile lures D- different profile slightly different action um I, I was you can still throw i've still caught um fish on the, on those lures on the mag draft but um i also throw a lure called a um megabass battalion 190 it's a deeper bodied swim bait two piece um it's got a hook on the rear and on the belly and it's got a really nice um action where you can actually feel it in the rod tip slight thump um and yeah it's just a swim bait with a chin weight option you can slap some weight on there and actually there's a lure that i can leave tied on all day because yep. i can fish that and when it dives it goes down to about a meter to two meters on a long cast 
But yep. then also when the sun comes up, I'll chuck a chin weight on it and swim it down. I've caught fish out of that 9, 10 metre depth range. Um, yeah, right. Very much the same as like a, a Garuda. It's a three-piece three, mm-hmm. three piece, um, square build uh, lure. It's, correct uh, me if I'm wrong, it's 260 mil long. Um, it's, a, it's a floating lure, so I can actually fish it like a wake bait. Um, and cranking it with my rod tip down, it dives down to about a foot or two. And I've actually, the best way and most productive for me is actually swimming that in that five, six meter depth of water um, in summer and in winter. So I find that it's so chin weighting it. Yeah, chin weighting it. So I've actually caught a lot of fish in winter and summer. So that's a lure that almost gets tied on every time I head out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very versatile. Um, but yeah, like, a lot of surface fishing doesn't get done in Eildon because I think a lot of people shy away from the idea again, like I was saying earlier, about how the fish locking onto structure. Um, but, yeah, I've had fish, plenty of fish, um, show themselves or even buff the boat, uh, buff the lure at the rod tip um, when I'm already looking where my next cast is and all of a sudden it just gets smashed at the boat. Um, yeah. Because, these, yeah, these fish, they don't care. They don't read the book. <laughs> So good. Yeah. So you. So yeah. So obviously the lure doesn't need to be deep. The question I've got for you though, with these lures, they're not the most snag resistant lures. When you compare them to spinnerbaits and bodies, they are not snag resistant at all. And you just talked about matching the trout, and the 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 trout aren't on the bottom, so you don't need to hug the bottom with your lure. Same with the carp. Same with the redfin. Is that how you fish these lures all the time? Like you cast them out. You, if you want to fish, say, in six or seven meters, you let them sink to that halfway down and then you roll them through. Is that how you fish all the time? You just, how do you, yeah, do you just keep it just, just off the structure and off the bottom and in that midwater all the time? Is that how you get these lures effectively through the water column? Because if you were to drop it onto a snag, it would, you touch the snag, it would snag. Obviously, you'd get stuck. So, how do you fish them? Yeah, like, in particular with a mag draft, I will fish that midwater. That's that's a very, I think that's where it shines the most um, is fishing that midwater column and imitating the trout. That's um, not again like the colours that like, comes in are incredible. But I push that aside and I look at the, the slim profile and matching the hatch with the um, with the, pad- the shape. Yeah, the paddle tail on it and the weight just rolls through the water. Um, and what I was saying earlier about the trout following my lure and I could see them literally paired up side by side. Um, they're almost identical to the tee. Like, um, yep. But yeah, like what you were saying, like they can be a bit snaggy. But saying that, um, fishing it um, slower, I'm in touch with the lure. So I know if I'm coming up to a snag or if I touch a snag, I'm not going to come up tight to it and try and jerk it out for the most part. Actually, just... Quickly, I haven't lost a lure all season. And mind yeah. you, I'm not throwing it um, in open water either. Um, I get hung up all the time. Not all the time. Yeah, but you get, going it, you get them back. Yeah, correct. Um, I'm not an idiot about it. So I just go over the top, give it a couple of little shakes with a rod tip and nine, 99% it just comes straight out to the coat, straight out. So, um, yeah. But yeah, when, like say, like throwing the Garuda, it's actually got that solid square bill on it. Um, and I'm not afraid to roll that in real deep water out of any tackle back range because <laughs> I know yeah. like that really hits the timber and I can stop, let it float uh, right. or suspend and I can go over to it and get it off. But for, yep. even then, like it just rolls, hits the timber and kicks over, like trips over the timber. 
Um, right, so he's actually got a bit like a short bib on it, so yeah. it actually bounces over better than say the mag draft. Oh, way better. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that's the one you'd fish a little bit deeper and be a little bit more confident to put it near structure. Yeah. Yep. Very much. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because that's that's the question I had. Because a lot of timber in yield, and then if you were to cast directly at a at a snag, you know, and if is yeah, if you're using one of the, the plastic or something that doesn't isn't very snag resistant, if you touch it, you're gonna just snag all the time. Like I, there was one of your videos I was watching. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I reckon it was a meter that you got. And there was a stump coming in off the bank and you'd put one cast and then you put another cast towards it yep. and he hit it pretty quickly. Do you know the video I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, yep. I know so that what, what I'm getting at is in that cast, you didn't let it sink onto and against that log, did you? No. You saw the log, you wanted to cast the log, but you kind of cast it there and just let it swing down and kept it just above it. Is that what yeah. the technique is there? Yeah, that, that's again like the fish coming up to feed like... As you can imagine, that lure wouldn't have been more than, say, a metre, maybe a metre and a half at best below the surface. And yep. and that hole there is close to five metres. Um, right. So, like, I was sitting in about eight metres or seven metres off memory. So, like, that there shows you, like, he was sitting up under the tree and that lure came past and he was quick to jump on it. And it was nowhere yep. near the depth of water that you would associate a fish to sit. Yeah, so these are these are hungry fish that are yeah. feeding that don't need the lure on their head. They're yeah. happy to come up and have a crack yeah. at if you have the right presentation, obviously. Yeah, correct. And actually, like even flashing back to before, we were saying about bite windows. That was actually at two two in the afternoon. That, that yeah, fish there. mad. But what that, I realised triggered that was it was a balmy winter day, like dead still, not a breath of wind. But there was literally the first bit of clouds, a little shower um, of rain. Actually, in the video, you can see the rain hitting the water and um, it actually coincided with the moon phase. Right, and bang. And I just, and it's funny going off that. I caught up with a mate on the lake around before midday. And um, yeah, we were discussing what we were going to do for the rest of the day. Had a quick bite to eat and got back to fishing. I landed that fish. And I texted him. I said, "Man, I just got one." And he goes, "Yeah, funny you just say that because I got a 101 as well." So I was like, "Well, it's crazy. well there you go. It's not the right cast. It was they're eating." Yeah. So you're basically doing the best you can do all day, and there'll be a bite window. Well, you hope there'll be a bite window at some stage. And if you're using the right lures, ones that represent bait, you're putting it in the right spot all day long. Yeah. When that bite window comes around, that fish will hit. Hundred percent. Like. Yeah. But actually, that's one of the main things. Like people, I see struggle in the audience because they see so much water, so many bays or arms and banks to fish that they'll go. Um, they go, oh, we'll fish here. No, no good. All right, jump over to this bay, then this bay. They might fish half a dozen areas. Now, personally, I like to stick to pick two and pull, yep. them, pull them through a fine-tooth comb. And it might right. be, all right, you fish this surface, um, then you've run a swim bait through it, um, and then you've jumped to the next, next area you want to work, go back to where you started, and I'll pretty much do it again. Um, right, so you'll so so say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. So you'll do it. You'll do a run with one lure, and then you'll turn around and do it again. Or you're saying you'll do a run, jump over, do that, come back and fish this with a different lure. Oh, either. But if if I have a mate with me, we'll definitely throw two different lures. I might throw surface, or he would, and um, I'll, he might throw something subsurface or mid water. 
So we try and cover both options. Like it is a bit easier when you have a second person because then you can sort of key into something. But um, yeah, like throwing, being, I fish a lot solo. So finding what they want can be a little bit more tricky. Um, yeah. Because I could be, you know, throwing a swim bait and they very much just want to eat something off the top. Um, or a fish that's been caught before on a swim bait knows you not to eat it. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like you, a lot of people will, like I was saying, go spot to spot. When in actual fact, they just need to bunker down, put two and two together, find the bait or whatever it is that they want, and sort it out. Like there's fish there. There's fish all over Eildon. There's definitely higher populations in other areas, but for the most part, um, working areas and going right. I'm not going to leave this bay until lunchtime. I, I that's actually one thing that made me sort of put my foot down in a way in Eildon is to definitely just go, right, I'm not leaving this bay all day. Yeah. Um, you'd be amazed. You might fish it for five, six hours and not see a single flicker or whatever, a bite. And then bang, I don't know what it is, but um, you might get three bites or a follow and hook and land a fish um, more than one encounter within the space of half an hour. And then again, I'll overlay that to moon, or what what made that? Why? Because there's a re. I believe there's a reason for everything. Um, things happen for a reason, unless it was a random good cast. But for the most part, you'll see it line up to something else. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, it's that time being spent on the water for that bite period. And I will have to back you on that because we've had the same thing happen in Blaring. You'll be up there for a night session, and you'll catch a fish, and you text your mate, be like, "Yeah, I just got a good one." And they're like, "Yep, me too." Like yep. it, it's insane. Or a couple of the other boys will get you'll get two or three hits in fifteen minutes and that's it. Mm. Yep. Spot so on. yeah, that's crazy. And yeah, it's just it's crazy to think about that, isn't it? And it's just putting in the time. Um yeah, so what I love to take away from it is the fact that you're finding that bait, like it's obviously critical. Like if if will you spend the time so you know how you just said you'll pick a bait and you'll fish it, you know, if it's got everything you want. Mm. If it doesn't have the bait Will yep. you move until you do find that spot with the bait and then you'll bunker up? Um, I'll, I'll still give it a look if there's the, the structure. Say it might be some really good lay-down timber or there's something that might hold the fish and make a resident fish. Um, yep. that, that's one thing that will probably make me stay. I'll, well, I won't dedicate the whole session to that. I'll give it a look. Um, but for the most part, I'll, I don't want to see myself driving around the lake trying to chase bait. Because in the end, I'm there to catch cod, not find the bait. Um, yeah. But it definitely does help um, finding the bait. But again, paying attention to previous previous trips or trips that were hard going, but I always promise myself when I'm heading back to the ramp to might be just sound or tuck up a bait, go for a drive, um, even though I might not fish it, but just to go and drive. And then you go, oh, man, look at all this bait. I'm, I'm sounding at the mouth of this creek at the mouth of this arm there's yep. no doubt that that bait would be moving up in the shallows at that prime time like whether it be overnight or early morning or late late afternoon so yeah that's yeah again like adds another piece to my next session yeah that's what i was going to say so that's then when you go right i'll go give that a crack mm. next session and then figure out if that's a spot for future trips yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. And just one more thing, I think you already touched on it, but it's in in my head I just I just had to ask it again. There's that you, you fish both in the back of the bays and sort of those outer banks that are in like the main basin areas. Do you do you prefer steeper banks or do you prefer the flatter banks that are littered in timber? A bit of both. Um I, I find generally I find a your smaller class of fish on the steep rock walls, personally. Yep. You talk to the next guy, he might say something else. But um, personally, from what I've found and what I've discovered, um, I find a lot smaller class of fish. When I say smaller, probably your 70 sort of centimetre fish. Um, yep. You still pull your metre plus fish off there. After all, if you've got a lure in the water, you don't know what's going to jump on. But mm. I've found a lot more better class fish, you know, your metre, metre 10 plus fish on those um yeah, banks, shallow banks, and actually, what coincides with that is a lot of pelicans usually hunt those shallower points and banks. Um, yeah, that indi- that's a great indicator of bait for me. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost chasing cods, almost like the, the you got to take rules and tactics out of pelagic fishing, yeah, eh? The, like, yeah. yeah, follow the the, the birds to follow <laughs> the bait to catch the yeah. cod. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, mate, thanks for joining me on this and sharing what you've shared. Lucky, you've gone over that much and even me, I've learned a lot just talking to you. Before we finish up, I've got a couple of questions. Yep. Um, what is your... Have you got one catch that's your best catch to date that that for you, you just go, yep, that's my best fish? Like, do you have one? And if you do, tell us the story. Best or like biggest? Um, best. Uh, best would be... Uh, sticks out very well is um actually was Ilden uh getting actually I made a video on it getting uh snow on the boat um trying to drive to the lake and yeah going through I don't know if many people know what the spur is but it's a windy road that goes from pretty much the Melbourne side of things up into the high country it's a really tight windy road and um yeah it was covered in snow and trees were falling across the road and everything else and SES had to clear the road so there was a lot of hunters and everything that were looking to spend the day out were actually um, sitting there waiting for him to clear the road but anyway I was the only idiot with the boat on the back um, <laughs> but um, no nah, anyway but that eventually got cleared and it was well and truly past what I would have considered a morning bite time um, but eventually yeah got to the lake and it sort of dimmed my my attitude a little bit um, just because I really wanted to be on the water at that certain time, but I got held up for an extra three hours than what I would have expected. But um, no, nah, nonetheless, got out in the water and um, I actually got given a lure from a good mate of mine, Nick Bailey from Megabass Australia, he, um, from Viva Fishing. He he had a lure in his arsenal that I really wanted and couldn't get my hands on it. Um, and he goes, look, I'll let you use mine, but I want it back. And yep. it was actually a Megabass Garuda. Um, and uh, I said to him as a joke, I said, look, you give me this lure, you know what happens if I catch a meter on it? Yeah, he, and what would he say? What'd you say? Did you tell him if you got a meter, he'd, um, you'd have to keep it? Yeah, I said, well, if I get a meter fish, it's mine. And uh, he goes, yeah, righto, yeah, righto, as a joke. But he didn't take me too serious. But um, yeah, back to the ramp, whatever. I'm on the water heading out. First five minutes, um, I was actually got the bite, stuck the hooks, got it in the boat, and um, I texted him a photo of the big fish in the net. And um, he said a couple of words that I didn't think of PG rated, but um, <laughs> he goes, yeah, well done. And he goes, it's yours. And 
Yeah, so no, that definitely it all the way it happened and fell into place. And yeah, I think the fish was a meter six. Um, yeah, that was a real chunk of the fish, like probably one of the heaviest cod I've actually caught for its size. It was just massive, real round fish. And yeah, and then um, also a good mate of mine was around the corner, Jacob Crow. He came over, gave me a hand with some photos and stuff. So it was great. So yeah, yeah good stuff. I saw that video. It was a cracker of a fish, big <laughs> fish. Yeah. Big fish, yeah. yeah, and at least old mate, uh, your mate uh, stood up to his bet, even though mm. he wasn't real keen on it. But that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's right. Yeah. He's a good man. Good, yeah, nice, good stuff, good stuff. Um, mate, before we finish up, one last question. What? Uh, thanks heaps for the episode as well. Like, I really appreciate you that's opening right. up and sharing that content and and this the thing about the bait for people. And that just doesn't go for eel and hay. That goes for all your big impoundments, those fish are keyed into bait. Yeah, 100%. Like it's, a, it's actually something I learned from traveling and fishing different dams. Um, going from Blairing, Copeton is, was, was one of the main factors that actually pushed me to get off my mindset that these fish are locked on structure, that they actually move and chase and eat bait. Like They're not just fish that eat yabbies and or the, if a carp swims by. Um, it definitely opened my mind up so like learning new techniques and opening your mind up and pick, taking in little things that are around you yeah yeah exactly um so the question i had for you was to finish up if you've if someone's new you got a, someone who's new to fishing chasing that trophy cod they want that big one what's one tip that that you the one thing that you live by that one thing that gives you the success that you could share with someone what would that be just attitude i think i said it before is your attitude and spot on is if your head's not in it you may not may as well not be there it can be hard to pull through like there's been times where i've thought thomas what are you doing man like you know like why are you standing in this boat casting your arm off like i'm literally i've had my arms sore from throwing big lures all day but then getting that bite and you go oh that's right that's why. <laughs> you got this big, yes. you got this thing on the deck of the boat, and you're like, "Man, there we go. That's it." Yes, but, I know exactly so, what you're yeah, saying. So if you go, if I, if the dude was standing in front of me, I'd be saying, "Mate, don't give up," and make yep. make plenty of time for it. And when you set your eyes on it, don't turn away. Make your own mind up, your own decisions. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself, mate. That is bloody awesome. Mate, I appreciate uh, you sitting down and having a chat with me, mate, taking time out of your afternoon um, and sharing everything you've done. So, um, you have Instagram. How can people follow you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm Captain Tomo. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, just look up my name, Thomas Pinto. You should be able to find me there. But, um, yeah, I'm on the socials, on, on Instagram, on Facebook and um yeah, on, uh, on uh, YouTube as well. YouTube, yeah. You guys, make sure you, if you're keen to see just the, the videos that Thomas puts together and, and the fish, but also you explain what you're doing and, and your process out on the water. Um, and if you're keen to get a really good watch, make sure you head on to YouTube and check out I Am The Captain. Is it I Am The oh, Captain? Oh, fishing With The Captain. Fishing With The Captain on YouTube and... I am Captain Tomo, is it, on Instagram? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice. Good (laughs) stuff, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me and good luck uh, with your next session out there grinding it out, trying to catch that big fish. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
And there you have it, guys. What a cracking episode. How good was some of that stuff we got right in detail on at the very end? I love his thought process. And people who put a lot of thought into their fishing are going to get a lot of success. You're going to get more success. If you put more thought into what you do, you analyze what goes on. But don't let that stop you from finding success. It's like what he talked about with the weather. Don't let the weather stop you. Fish hard. The time you put on the water is going to get results. But obviously, if you can time it at the right times, you're going to have better results because we don't all have a heap of time. And you'll probably note a lot of the people we talk to in these interviews are expert anglers. Like They really know what they're doing because they put a lot of time in. And I'm guessing there's a, a fair proportion of you guys out there who just don't have the time that all these other guys have. And that's just life. That's what happens. We all have a life in fishing. You might only get out to fish you know, four or five times a whole year. But when you do, you want to you wanna get fish. And that's why I want to share as much as I can with you. That's the point of the podcast. When I was younger growing up, I could not find stuff. You know, you spend that much time on the water and we are here to help share. I want to learn as much as I can, interview all these great people. We write content to share it with you guys so you can get out there and catch fish. And I really hope you're enjoying how we're putting these podcasts together and I hope uh, you're getting something out of them. I hope that helping make a difference with that small amount of time that you do spend on the water. So, absorb it all uh, and if you have anyone else we want to interview, if you have any topics you want to talk about, send them through. We've had a fair few messages come through. I've read every single one and we have some awesome episodes coming up and if you have submitted an idea for an episode, it will be in the bank. Uh, most of the things that you submit, we will put together an episode on it. Like I said, if you have an idea, we want to talk about it to help share content for you guys. Once again, thanks for your support and I also want to thank Thomas for his time opening up, talking about Lake Eildon and Trophy Cod. It's an incredible fishery and I highly recommend going and fishing it if you haven't already. But like I said, the things that Thomas does at Lake Yildon, you can apply it to other waterways. I took a lot out of that that I'm going to go sort of implement into my fishing when I fish blaring dam. Blaring similar, it's got trout. So the things that I learn every day, the things that you learn, try and apply them to the style of fishing close to home, the things that you do, but also take them as a bit of a uh, inspiration to travel, hit the road and go fish some of these awesome locations. If you have a location that you want us to talk about or if someone you know is an expert at a location close to you that you want us to cover, let me know who they are and what lakes and waterways, rivers, creeks you want us to talk about. Uh, guys, another mention to the project that is coming out very soon. I know a few of you guys that listen, listen every week. Uh, you will have heard me talk about a new project that is coming soon. It should be here in the next five to six weeks. We are working very hard at it and it's something that there's never been before and I'm so pumped to release it. It's basically going to help you guys catch more fish and it's all to do with waterways, specifically on fishing waterways so what to do where to go and how to do it at different waterways so it's going to be exciting i can't wait to release it but just stay tuned like i said uh, in previous podcasts i will be announcing it on the podcast in the first place before anywhere else because you guys have been loyal you've been listening to the podcast and i really appreciate it because it's it's a good place to connect and i feel like um it's the, uh, the most natural way to connect with you guys like we're quite casual in the podcast when we talk you know chris and i you'll probably get to know our character uh, a little bit more and that's why i like doing this because you get to see the raw us and obviously also the people who we interview so i do thank you guys for your support i hope you enjoy it and like i said i will be releasing the project and what is happening to you guys first in the next month or so once again guys 
guys. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. More episodes coming up every week. So I'll be talking to you next week. So good luck with the fishing if you head out this weekend and I hope you get onto a big fish. Thanks guys for tuning in to the Social Fishing Podcast. <laughs>